the eight. For those who don't know, my name is Michael, and we're going to talk a little bit about a money mindset today. But before we get into the topic, I'm going to talk about what brought me to this point for me to be talking about money uh, to you guys here at, at the eight. So I, have, I'm, I come from a background of finance, and I do a lot of scenario planning and financial models at work. And over the years, I started to think, oh, why don't I apply these models that I'm doing for work and apply them to uh, my personal life, my finances? So it started off as a tool to help me look at my income and forecast out uh, my income to see if I have enough for retirement. And then um, I started to, when I had kids, I thought, okay, well, how am I going to pay for their college down the road? So I started to model that. And my model became very comprehensive, and I'd always add little features to it. And then I thought, well, this would be a great tool for me to share with others, uh, at least the mindset of how to manage money. So I went up to Abuna and I said, if you know anybody that needs help with mo money, or needs help with money, uh, send them my way and I'd be happy to help. And Abuna said, oh, this is great. Why don't you talk about it at the eight? And this was a couple of years ago. So I think it was February 2020, I got up and I gave uh, a more tactical finance talk about how to get out of debt, how to save, how to invest. And then two weeks later, the world shut down because of COVID. So all the people who started to save and invest, you guys started off on the right foot. For those of you who started to invest, I'm sorry, but it will come back up, okay? So um, since then, in the last two years, I've met with over a dozen families, and I've helped them put plans together. And a few mindsets became apparent, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So what is m money mindset? It's the way we think about money. And why should we discuss it at the eight? Well, because, and that's a question I actually had. It feels uncomfortable to talk about money in church. It just feels taboo. But if we look, we see Christ talk about money a lot. He had roughly 36 parables, and 15 of them were about money. If it was about the lost coin, the prodigal son who squandered his father's wealth, um, if it was about Lazarus, the poor man, and he sat at the gate of the rich man. So we see Christ talked about money a lot. And why is that? It's because money is in direct competition for our attention. It's money and God, and God is trying to get your attention. And the, 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 the biggest challenge sometimes is money. We spend eight, nine hours a day trying to make money, then we spend a couple hours a day spending money. We're spending money if it's at the grocery store. We're spending money if we're watching a subscription of, of Netflix. We're, we're making money or spending money. So sometimes we lose ourselves in that world. So again, why finance at the eight? Money consistently comes up as a top, top stressors in relationships. Two, the church is a hospital, and it's a hospital for all ailments. And oftentimes when we think of church, we think of how can I improve my spiritual life, but we don't think of 
what are those hurdles in the way that's preventing us of, on focusing on our spiritual life? And if we have less stress, if that's money problems or anything else, we have more, important, uh, more time to spend on important things in life. If it's generosity or if it's uh, securing a sound future for our family. So what do people think of from, a, from the Bible when we bring up money? What verse comes to mind? That's right. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. I heard this quote not too long ago, and it said, Money is a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. Money is a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. So when we think of this verse, money is the root of all evil, that's true if you have money as your master. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Here are the four money mindsets that I've come across. The first one is turning a blind eye. Sometimes we want to ignore something we don't understand. Two, when it comes to money, sometimes people feel hopeless. And we'll talk about that a little bit. The third one, I originally put greed. But if I ask you who here is greedy, no one's going to raise their hand. So I called it here inconspicuous greed because that's what it is. It's sly, it's, it's, it's subtle, and we might not pick up on it. And then the fourth one is money as God intends. So let's first start with turning a blind eye. What is turning a blind eye? It's ignoring undesirable information. Ignoring undesirable information. So I have a curious picture up here. Um, there's a story where this term comes, turning a blind eye. There was an admiral in the Navy, uh, in the, the British military a long time ago. And he was supposed to look for a sign from his base camp before he continues and attacks the enemy forces. So he knew that the base was going to tell him, don't go forward, retreat. But he wanted to lead his troops into that battle. So when, he's told, when he was told, okay, the sign is going uh, to be shown, you need to look to see what we do. Do we go forward or do we stay? And what he did was he took the telescope and he had a blind eye. He put the telescope to the blind eye and looked out. He said, I don't see a sign. So he ignored the direction that was coming and he went forward in the battle. And we do that sometimes with our financial life. What do we say? I don't need to plan for my retirement. God will provide. That's one that I've heard a lot. Another one is I'm sacrificing for my kids and I'll figure it out later. I need to get my kid a car. I need to pay for my kid's college. I need, I need, I need to do this for my kids and I neglect myself. And that could be a dangerous thing that we do. Third, I'm not sure how much I spent last month, but it was all things I needed. 
So this is something, if we don't really know what we're spending on, we are turning a blind eye on our financial situation. So here is an excuse that people might provide for turning a blind eye. And it's biblically based. So you think, okay, then th this is right. Someone actually told me this when I sat with them. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Well, it's, it's hard to argue for, with that, right? Someone just pulled something out of the Bible and said, this is why I'm not looking, that's not why I'm not managing my financial life. It's because God promised me he would take care of me. And that's true. God does promise to take care of us. But let's look at another example in the Bible to see how turning a blind eye could hurt us and how we should, we are still called to plan. The story of Adam and Eve. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open. So here's an example of Adam and Eve turning a blind eye to God's direction. Do not eat of this fruit. And they did. Why? Well, it was good. They saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eye. It was desirable. It was easy. And sometimes it's just also easy for us to turn a blind eye to our financial life. And we could risk, we could risk much in doing that. But what do you do rather than turn a blind eye? We're called to plan with a purpose. Plan with a purpose. The Bible also tells us, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. And then in Luke we read, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. So this is scripture that tells us we can't turn a blind eye. We need to plan. We need to sit down first and count the costs. Because doing so, you'll avoid here at the end says, if, if you don't, you'll, you'll be, become a mockery. And we're not thinking of mockery in the, the, the sense of being embarrassed in front of uh, in front of people. No, it's it's Maybe the answer is it's it's hurtful to yourself and uh, to your family Because nobody goes says oh, I'm gonna go on vacation and just starts heading south. No, they plan They say this is the hotel. We're gonna stay at these are the activities. We're gonna do This is how we're gonna eat there the same with um, Our financial life. So the first one the first point here is rather than per turning a blind eye Plan with purpose. The next mindset that I've come across is hopelessness. And, and this one is a tough one when it comes to the people's financial situation because it's a feeling of despair or lack of hope 
that life can feel better. Hopelessness, when you sit down with someone to talk about their finances and they have this feeling, there's something more. This is us when we've taken our, put all our hope in money and probably maybe taken our hope off of God. Here are some of the things uh, that, that we hear. I can't get out of this financial mess. This stuff doesn't make any sense to me. I lost so much money. It will take me forever to pay off this debt. So where do we see hopelessness in the Bible? We'll actually look at a couple characters from the Bible and see how they were put in hopeless situations and how they dealt with it. The first one is Joseph. In 15 seconds, the story of Joseph was his brothers were jealous of him. He got a colorful coat. Brothers wanted to get rid of him. They threw him in a pit. They said, nah, maybe better not to throw him in the pit. Let's sell him. They sold him into slavery, and then Joseph becomes a very uh, powerful figure uh, in, 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 the, uh, uh, in government. And then there is a famine. And because of the visions that Joseph was given, he had planned for Egypt, and there was plenty when, during a time of famine. And his brothers go to him, and they don't know who it, who it is, or they don't know it's his brother, and they're, and they're begging and asking for food. So when the brothers go to him at the end of the story, and they realize that it's their brother, he says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph was put in a hopeless scenario, but he kept his hope on God so that when he was put into slavery, he probably thought my life, he could have thought my life is over. But he had a greater purpose, and he probably didn't see that purpose at the time of his slavery. And the same applies when we find ourselves in a mess. You probably can't see your purpose, but maybe it's a call for us to be patient to look for God's purpose. Another story is the story of Job. We know the story of Job. He was a very rich man, the richest at the time. He had a lot of wealth. The Bible lists out all his animals, the number of animals he had. He had many children. It said that every day, daily, he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of his kids, just in case his kids sinned. So he was a good man. But we all know the story of Job. He loses his wealth. He loses his children. His friends are pushing him to turn against God. His wife is telling him to curse God. But he never, he never strays from, he never takes his hope off of God. Even during his toughest times, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. So it might be hard to see what was God's purpose for Job. He was trialed by fire. And, but through this, it was an opportunity for him 
to show God his love and his dedication. And yes, he went through a lot of hard times, but the book of Job tells us at the very end that his wealth was doubled, and then he lived many peaceful years after that. So the question is, what can come out of our struggles, out of our hopelessness? The Lord says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to prosper you. And this is interesting because of who is saying this. This is coming from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Weeping because at the time, the people were a wicked people, and they had turned away from God. And he was the weeping prophet because the people weren't turning, and they were getting, getting a severe punishment at the time. So even through all that, and all, all of uh, Jeremiah's messages were gloomy in nature. They were scary messages. But through all that, the Lord spoke through Jeremiah and said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that's the mindset when we're going through tough times that we should have. So the, quick, the, the, the question is, how do we overcome it? And the answer is, accept God's invitation to place our hope in Him. And it's hard to think that God's actually inviting me during this tough time. He literally invites us many times. Cast your anxiety on Him. Cast your burden upon the Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So when we are going through that tough time, if it's financial or other, we're called to put our hope in God. The third money mindset we see is greed. Do you guys know what cartoon this is from? It's Uncle Scrooge, DuckTales. And the, the cartoon DuckTales would always start off with Uncle Scrooge swimming in his money. Swimming in his money. You see the sign there? 90 feet deep gold coins. But what I, like we said earlier, Nobody ever says, I'm greedy, but it's subtle. But the definition of greed is an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. So how are people greedy? One is sometimes we find ourselves, when it comes to money, investing in things we don't understand. And, and, and that's, that's a scary thing when you don't really understand how the, the investment or the mechanism you're getting into works. Disregarding risk, putting all your eggs in one basket. Sometimes we hear the trends in the news and we're like, oh, this is the next hot stock or this is where I should be putting my money. And that's risky when you put all your money, all your, you put everything on one thing. Constantly buying things I need. This is one I see a lot, uh, even for myself. I think I need these things, but they're really wants. So sitting, some, sitting with yourself and assessing what do I need versus want. 
And then not being generous with money or time. So maybe we don't have a lot of money, but we might have time. And so we're called to be generous with that as well. We'll go through two quick stories. Um, so the first one will be the story of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And he's going into battle against the Philistines. And he has 3,000 men. And the Philistines have 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and they said a military beyond that as much, uh, as much as the sand on the seashore. So there were a lot of people going up these 3,000. So of course you want God's blessing before you go into battle. So let's read what happens here. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Samuel was the priest at that time. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. So you might think, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with this. Saul wanted a blessing from God before he goes into battle. The problem is Saul wasn't a priest. He shouldn't have been giving that sacrifice. That's as if we came to church today and Abuna's running late and he's still running late. Okay, I got a Super Bowl party I need to get to. All right, do we have any volunteers here to someone to do the liturgy, right? Let's just get somebody from the congregation to do the liturgy. That's wrong. We wouldn't do that. But that's what happened there because Saul was greedy for his time and he was impatient. So how does Samuel respond to him? What have you done? Saul said, well, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together and I have not made supplication to the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And we all know that the man after his own heart was David. Through that maybe hopeless time Saul had, he should have put his hope in God, but he put his hope on himself. And what did he risk? He didn't realize his purpose and that his kingdom would have been established forever. But because of his greed for time and his impatience, not only did he lose the kingdom of Israel, but then in this battle, Saul and his son, Jonathan, ended up dying in battle. And how did they die? They the, a, a lot of what happened, there were the, the blacksmiths at the time that were preparing the weapons for them, for some reason weren't able to make the weapons. So his troops, his 3,000 men, didn't have any weapons to fight in the battle, and they all scattered into the caves to hide. So Saul was easily surrounded. And we see other examples in the Bible where with as few as 300 men, God was able to have those 300 conquer much larger forces. God might have wanted this to be an opportunity to show his strength, but, uh, but that did not happen. The next one we want to talk about is the parable of the rich fool. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. 
plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So here is the selfishness, the greed of this rich fool, where he stored and he neglected to be generous with what he was blessed with. How can we address greed in our life? Be mindful and be generous. Unlike the rich fool who was not generous, and unlike Saul who was not mindful, we are called to be mindful, to proactively give some thought, self-assess our lives, and see how we can uh, be mindful and generous. We read here in Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Today we talked about three mindsets, turning a blind eye, hopelessness, inconspicuous greed. Next week we'll talk about money as God intends. So as a quick wrap-up, the last slide I have here is, if we don't take anything away, let's take this away. We are called to move from blindly looking at our lives, whether it's financial or not, and we plan with a purpose. The second one is to move from hopelessness and place our hope in God. And the third is to seek the inconspicuous greed in our life and let's be mindful and generous in what we've been blessed with. Okay. Let us stand for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings in our life, and we thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your church here today. We ask you, Lord, to help us identify our blind spots, our hopelessness, and our greed, and help us identify those things and remove them out of our life so that we could put our hope and our trust and our love in you. Through the intercessions of St. Mary and St. Mark, please hear us when we pray thankfully. Our Father, 